This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ten years ago, Mexican teenager Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez was shot through the border fence by a U.S. Border Patrol agent. The agent believed the teen was throwing rocks at him and that he was in danger. This launched a historic cross-border investigation that ultimately changed how the Border Patrol functions. But Jose Antonio isn't the only person to have been killed across the border between Mexico and the United States. His story became an example of those families who are still fighting for justice. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. Today, we're joined by Republic reporters Rafael Carranza and Marisa Dominguez. Alongside our producer, Amanda Liberto, they told the intricacies of Jose Antonio's story in season three of our investigative podcast, Rediscovering. Rafael, Maritza, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So if people haven't listened to season three of Rediscovering yet, and they should, give us a brief summary of why this case caught your attention. Uh, yes, this is a cross-border shooting, and its aftermath is an example of a much larger issue that the country is still grappling with to this day. As a border state here in Arizona, we often hear about how deadly the border can be for migrants, and it still is. But there have also been many deaths at the border that involve U.S. border agents who have shot and killed migrants, or in this case, a Mexican teenager who was on the other side of the border fence. And so this case, as, as it showed us, it's, it's very hard to get clear answers about what happens when a Border Patrol agent shoots and kills someone. And critics continue to argue that the Border Patrol remains one of the least transparent and also one of the least accountable federal agencies. So this was one of the most high-profile cross-border shootings in recent memory. Um, the fact that it happened here at the Arizona-Mexico border, I think, kind of adds another layer to it. But the impacts that this case had were very consequential all along the U.S.-Mexico border. So we wanted to use this case to highlight some of those issues. It has been 10 years now since Jose Antonio's passing. The two of you were just down in Nogales for a celebration of his life. What was the atmosphere like and who all attended this? Yeah, so the events took over um, two days. You could tell it was a much larger celebration than had been years in the past because this took over two-day span, whether it was it was on Saturday and on Sunday. The Saturday events took place on the U.S. side and it kicked off with a half a mile march from a local hotel to the Nogales Plaza in the city's downtown square. There were indigenous performers and local artists and singers who were out there supporting the family and their quest for justice. Uh, we spoke with various people, you know, some people were just becoming involved and were just finding out about who Jose Antonio was. And so we spoke with one woman who's Darleta Zegunia. 
Um, she's a 20-year-old U of A student. She actually grew up in Nogales on the border city. And, you know, she talked to us about how eye-opening it was for her to be there because growing up, her parents tried to shield her away from those issues that were going on on the border. And um, But you know, there were other uh, organizers there that have been with the family through the past 10 years, like Ana Maria Vasquez, who has helped organize these vigils um, over the past 10 years. She's been at nearly all of them. And then, you know, the other interesting part of the vigil was on Sunday, there were the other families who have had loved ones also killed by border uh, agents. It was really interesting to see the solidarity with these women because there are very few folks who have gone through this experience. So um, Maria Huereca was there. Her 15-year-old son, Sergio Adrián Hernández Huereca, was also shot and killed by a border agent in 2011. And that's the case that went up to the Supreme Court uh, in 2020. There was also Nora Gallego, the wife of Guillermo Alvaro Pedrosa. Her husband was shot and killed by Border Patrol um, near the Rio Grande in Nuevo Laredo about 10 years ago. They were out there having a birthday picnic with their two daughters. And you can tell when we spoke to her that she's still really going, you know, trying to get justice, but also, you know, she kept saying the words like, Echile ganas. She's, she's trying to keep going forward for her daughters. And she was there in hopes to try to find justice. I think that's the thing with these, all these women that are coming together. Together, they're a louder voice. And then I, it seemed like the atmosphere was a little less somber this time around compared to the vigil I went to in 2019. Um, but Rafa, you've been to a lot more vigils than I have. Maybe you can kind of speak to the differences of the family that you saw from the previous years. Uh, yeah, this is a case that I've become very familiar with. I've been covering it ever since I started uh, reporting along the U.S.-Mexico border for the Arizona Republic. And I got the chance to cover the uh, trials that took place in Tucson. Um, and over the course of that time, I also got the chance to talk with the family on numerous circumstances and really get to know them a little better. In, in previous years, uh, there definitely had been more of a, um, as Marisa mentioned, it had been more of a somber occasion that I think, you know, just kind of emphasized the loss that this family felt, you know, through the shooting. But over the course of the time that we've been covering it, uh, or that I've been covering this story, um, one of the things that I think struck me most, particularly about this last time, is um, with the mom, you know, how she felt that even though she had gone through this tough situation losing her son. She was very grateful for all of the support that she has been getting for the past 10 years. Um, you've had many people from on both sides of the border who have shown up to many of these celebrations, and this year was no different. Um, so she was very thankful and definitely feeling a lot more upbeat um, and hopeful because of Again, you know, it, even though she had gone through this loss, um, kind of finding purpose by, you know, meeting with this, these women and, you know, having the support of the community behind her um, kind of rallied her to give her more of, uh, of you know, that feeling to kind of uh, provide greater hope that, you know, they will be able to achieve justice. I want to hover over this issue of other cases as well and other families who have been touched by this. You noted in articles that you've written and in episodes of Rediscovering that Jose Antonio's case was not the only one like this, and some of those family members were also at the anniversary that you just referenced. How similar are the outcomes of those other cases? 
Uh, yeah, that's right, Ron. Uh, there's an organization called the Southern Border Communities Coalition that has actually been tracking the number of deaths um, involving U.S. border agents along the U.S.-Mexico border. And since 2010, they've documented 61 deaths that have involved border agents who have used deadly force against these individuals. Some of them were migrants, but many of them were not, you know, such as Jose Antonio. Um, you know, he was standing on the Mexican side of the border when he was shot and killed by Border Patrol agent Lonnie Schwartz in October 2012. But as you know, you mentioned, you know, th- this was a moment where you had the family members for two of these other individuals that were also killed in cross-border shootings to also show up to Nogales and show their support. You have, as uh, Maritza mentioned earlier, you had uh, Guadalupe, the mother of Sergio Adrián Hernández Huereca, who was shot in El Paso Ciudad Juárez in June 2010. And then in September of that same year, you also had the death of Guillermo Arevalo Pedrosa in Nuevo Laredo during the family picnic. Um, and the justice or the, the path to justice has looked very different for all three of these cases. In the case of uh, Guadalupe Guereca, she filed a lawsuit and that made it all the way to the Supreme Court twice. And that ended up being one of the most consequential cases because the Supreme Court decided that the families in Mexico have no standing to sue the border agents. And so it essentially shut them out of the U.S. legal system. And that had wide impacts for all of the other investigations, because for Jose Antonio's case, you know, the one here in Arizona, their path looked very different. The judges in that case had actually allowed the family to continue their lawsuit. So that was in very direct opposition to uh, what had been happening out of the shooting out of El Paso in Texas. Uh, But obviously, the Supreme Court's the law of the land. And so they take precedence over any of the other laws. And so when they decided that Mexican families can't sue, that essentially ended all of the cases that many of these other families had also filed seeking justice for their family members. That may have ended the cases in the U.S., but not elsewhere. These are, by definition, international matters. Uh, Some of these families turn to legal mechanisms outside the U.S. How are they seeking accountability outside the United States justice system? Yes, as a result of that Supreme Court ruling, they have been looking for other alternatives. And so the one that they've settled on and that they went for is the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. It is an international body that is um, associated with the Organization for American States. It's this group that brings together all of the countries in the Western Hemisphere. And this commission was set up as a way to investigate human rights uh crimes or human rights abuses throughout uh, the Americas. And for the most part, uh, most of those cases have stemmed from Latin America. But we've just learned that the commission has decided to grant a request for a hearing uh, for a case that happened at the U.S.-Mexico border. This is for Anastasio Hernandez Rojas. He is a Mexican man who was beat and he died as a result of that beating um, in San Diego in 2010 as well. And so the family, you know, really similarly to the other cases, had also tried to pursue, uh, you know, seek justice to the U.S. legal system, but they were blocked out of that. And so because of that, they decided to turn to the to the commission and they're hoping that at the very least, you know, they'll be able to get a, a sort of an apology from the U.S. government who they feel has so far has not acknowledged anything that they've gone through. But, you know, they're also uh, asking for the U.S. government to reopen that particular case in hopes that it could lead to some other path to justice for them. Um, So that could be very consequential because 
if the commission rules in, in their favor, that could then open the door for many of these other families that were also shut out of the U.S. legal system to then file requests with the commission who could then issue you know, their own recommendations. And I'll have to note that the commission's rulings are not that like these these rulings um, are not binding. So the U.S. is not forced to uh, necessarily act on the commission's uh, request. But since the U.S. did ratify, um, you know, the OAS and they are a member of you know this international organization, they do kind of have a greater role of responsibility to kind of react to that. When we were down there, this was something that um, the families were really looking forward to. The grandmother, Taide Elena, of uh, Jose Antonio, she said, when one door closes, then a window opens. And she's viewing this as the window for them to get justice. And apart from the commission, they're also the, the Jose Antonio's family is planning a trip to Mexico City to petition the government, the Mexican government, to take more action. Um, that could mean trying to extradite the border agents. However, that is quite unlikely that that would happen. But it was one of the criticisms we kept hearing from the families that they and activists that they would like the Mexican government to be more involved because these are boys and men and uh, even women who have been shot and killed in their own country, not in the U.S. So they are trying to hold their own government more accountable. If these matters have been unsatisfactory for the families and for the activists who have taken an interest in it, they still have had an effect, it seems, on the Border Patrol and how they operate inside the United States. What are some of the impacts that are felt out of all of this and are they still in place today? Well, one of the biggest impacts, and I think one of the clearest uh, results, has been kind of the highlighting the process or the lack of a process uh, whenever a shooting involving border patrol, a patrol agent happens. Um, I think because uh, up until you know this point, things had been you know relatively obscure, not as transparent. The fact that you had these very high-profile cases that made their way through court that meant that a lot of those details then were essentially litigated in court, so they became public record. Um, and so the actions from the border patrol agent and from the from the agency itself also came under you know greater scrutiny because it was open to the public. And so. Uh, immediately after the shooting, because it was also that, you know, such high profile. And it, this shooting in Nogales followed a series of other cross-border shootings throughout the border. Um, it also kind of placed a greater pressure on the U.S. Border Patrol to take some action. And so they ended up revising their use of force policies, which made it kind of more clear or, you know, narrowed down when agents are allowed to use deadly force against someone. For example, one of the things that they changed is that they they stopped allowing agents from shooting at moving vehicles, which was a problem prior to this. Um, but they also kind of raised the standard of when it's acceptable for a border agent to shoot at someone. Um, they've also instituted a, a few other sort of public mechanisms or ways to report a lot of these incidents that have been taking place. But one of the things that we have been hearing consistently that, you know, to this day, there had been a lot of concern about the fact that uh, in many of these instances, in many of these shootings, the Border Patrol shootings were being investigated by the Border Patrol agents themselves through their uh, watchdog office. There's been a lot of questions about, you know, impartiality and whether, you know, this agency is actually able to, to fairly investigate these when, you know, you have the agents 
doing it, investigating themselves, essentially. Within Border Patrol, there's also a critical incident team, which was responsible for responding to many of these shooting incidents um, as, you know, through their role of kind of investigating themselves. But there were a lot of concerns and allegations that they were actually covering up a lot of the wrongdoing from the agents. And the Border Patrol actually announced that they would be getting rid of, you know, these teams without acknowledging that many of these allegations were true. But in many of the activists and critics' eyes, you know, that's an acknowledgement that these teams were involved in, in doing something that they weren't supposed to. So, but, you know, they say that there's still kind of a long road ahead in terms of transparency and accountability, but certainly they point to this as sort of a step in the right direction. Immigration and border security policies are still some of the biggest topics in the midterm elections and early voting is now underway. When we hear politicians talk about these issues, it's usually in the form of dissatisfaction with the the movement of Mexicans into Arizona and the U.S. We don't really hear a lot about law enforcement's activities and how it affects Mexicans. Are people at the border, do you get the sense that Americans, American voters perhaps, are receiving this issue differently right now, uh, especially in light of some of the things that you've been looking at? Well, I think that, you know, certainly I think immigration is kind of a common, it, it comes up, you know, very frequently when it comes to the election season in Arizona. And uh, I think that the rhetoric that we've been hearing certainly has taken on a, an alarmist tone in the lead up to the election. And I think that that definitely has colored, you know, some of the ways that, you know, this is kind of received. But this particular case, you know, I think the fact that this was happening on the Mexican side, and so not necessarily the shooting happened, the boy died on the Mexican side, he wasn't on the Arizona side. Um, and I think that that I think is a significant difference. But certainly what we've heard throughout my interviews that I've done with other individuals is that it's such a polarizing topic that it's very hard, you know, for that rhetoric and and for, you know, that polarization to not seep into, you know, this particular case. And I think that we could, you can kind of draw a line and, and see, you know, some very clear support, for example, in along, you know, kind of party lines and affiliation, those who support greater accountability for Border Patrol versus, you know, those who perhaps, you know, want to give more resources to Border Patrol or hire more agents or, you know, surge more resources at the border. So there's very clear kind of lines there that I think were not as, you know, salient during this particular case, but they definitely are there. One other question from your conversations with folks in Mexico, do they view this in a partisan lens in American politics? Do they think Democrats or Republicans are any better on this issue from their perspective? Or do they see this as a bipartisan, non-political U.S. problem? Well, in our conversations, uh, there hasn't really been a distinction, uh, you know, between political parties. Uh, I think that, you know, in, in this case, what they look at mostly and, you know, from our interviews, what we heard mostly from people is that this was a U.S. Border Patrol agent. And so they saw it through the lens of the U.S. government, regardless of who was in office. But it was an extension of the U.S. government who shot and killed someone on the Mexican side. So they view it more as of kind of like an intrusion on Mexican sovereignty. And uh, many of the things that we heard, you know, during the reporting for this uh, for this uh, podcast was that if the roles had been reversed, um, if someone had shot from Mexico into the United States, that, you know, they, they kind of joked um, that it would have resulted in an invasion, you know, from, you know, the U.S. invading Mexico as a result of that. Um, and so 
you know, that's kind of like the the, the lens that it's kind of, uh, you know, grasped that. And, you know, the fact that it was a U.S. border agent um, that, that fired into Mexico and the fact that, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court essentially kind of uh, legalized it in a way, or you know, or so they say. Um, you know that even though the the agent was standing on the on the U.S. side, the bullets went south into Mexico. But as soon as they crossed the border, it absolved the the, the agents of any wrongdoing, um, according you know to the Supreme Court. And so they view that as more of kind of like a, again an intrusion on sovereignty, but also kind of an attack on 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 Mexico and on Mexicans themselves. So one of the things that we also heard during the marches, um, one of the family lawyers, you know, was urging Congress to now take action on finding any sort of relief or, or reform for families who um, have died at the hands of border agents. During the Supreme Court hearing in 2019, um, the lawyers for Agent Mesa was, they were, they were urging they were saying that it was not the place for the courts to decide whether or not the family had relief and that it should be in the hands of Congress to make any action towards that. And because of that hearing and the decision that the Supreme Court took, there is no real legal path for these families to take any have any civil recourse. And so it is going to be left at the hands of Congress. And whether I don't think that folks... Um, on the Mexican side are looking at um, who's in power, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans. They're just looking to Congress to find any sort of relief for them. Well, thank you both for joining us to talk about this. Be sure to find season three of Rediscovering wherever you listen to The Gaggle. Rafa, Maritza, if listeners want to keep up with your work on Twitter, where can they find you? Yes, my uh, Twitter account is at Rafael Carranza, that's double R and Z. And you can find me on Twitter at Maritza C. Dom, that's M-A-R-I-T-Z-A-C-D-O-M. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? Contact us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602-444-0804. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me at Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.